But I want to get into the Word of God. Be reading from Philippians chapter 3. And I want God to speak to us. I love the presence of God that I feel. It feels so good. If you haven't felt Him yet, God is in this house, His sweet presence, His reassuring touch, His love for each and every one of us is present, and I hope that the Word of God reaches down and touches somebody tonight. Amen. Hope God has, I know He has a word for someone, but I was praying before service, I want God to change me with His Word. I want Him to minister to me with His Word. Amen. In Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be reading through 8 through 14. And Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 starts with, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I already attained, neither were perfect already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which, I, which also I apprehend, am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to us a little bit this evening about we are citizens. We are our citizens. If we can lay our Bibles down and ask God to touch us today. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you, God. I love you, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Looking through the establishment of the church in Philippi was the first place in Europe where the gospel was preached and the gospel was there in a very interesting circumstances for Paul and Silas. And Paul had been called by a remarkable vision we read in Acts chapter 16. In verse 9, to go unto Macedonia. And the first place he preached was Philippi. The first person he preached to was Lydia. We know her as the seller of purple. And she was converted and received Paul and Silas into her house and began to provide hospitality to uh, the men of God that had walked into her life. We find in the first seven verses of Philippians chapter 3, we see a lot of people like to focus on Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, and you'll see it on bookmarks, you'll see it on uh, 
social media, and you'll see it on just about everything. But there's a lot that happens prior to um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, about I press toward the mark or the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot to be said that I may win Christ, that I may attain unto what God wants in my life. And I hopefully can convey this, and God will give me the words to say in talking about being citizens. Amen. Imagine having, as we see Paul, having a love and desire so deep for the people that he would pen these words while sitting in a prison cell, that he would begin to write these words, a letter of encouragement to the church of Philippi, while he's sitting there in a very, very dark situation. And we find that he is trying to encourage them. And in the setting you find, I can only imagine the, the, the moistness, the the, the, the slosh of, of mud and no telling what else mixed in with it and, and, and the discomforts of his prison cell as he begins to find a dry place and begins to pull out the parchment and begins to then write the letter in his situation. Making the best of it, he begins to encourage. What a man of God. To be able to, in those situations, instead of saying, press on without me, my days are but numbered here. He says, I'm going to talk to you about some things. He gets down into their corn crib. In verses 1 through 7, he begins to pull on their hearts of believers to devote themselves. And this is probably one of the most significant pulls through the word of God to devote themselves to the service of Christ, their redeemer. He begins to, if I may give a summary of some of the things he discusses, he begins to talk to them in verses two and three. He warms them against the Jewish teachers who urge the necessity of complying with the Mosaic law and appear to have been able to boast at becoming a boast at being Jews and to have regarded themselves as the favorites of God on that account. You see in verses 2 through 3. When you look at verses 4 and 5, um, he's telling them to meet at what they had said to show little on how that they had relied on this was to be valued. He said, and Paul says these words, that he had advantages of birth and education which surpassed all of them and their claim to be in the favor of God, and the hope and salvation that which be derived from birth and education and zeal because of their conformity to law had been based solely upon this. Their status was only held in high regard because they said, I'm a Jew and I have abided by these laws and these things that have been taught to me. I have applied them to my life and Paul goes on to say, I have advantages greater than you. And then he goes on and begins to talk about how he has renounced all of this and regarded it as utterly worthless in the matters of salvation. And I can't remember who said it just recently uh, from the pulpit. I believe it was 
that they were talking about how God does not have uh, grandsons and granddaughters. He doesn't have stepsons and stepdaughters. He doesn't have cousins or aunts and uncles in the kingdom of God. But we are all called to be sons and daughters of him. We all have the same status. Called out of darkness into his light. Touched and changed by him. But Christ was more to Paul than the advantages of birth and rank and blood and all the other grounds of their dependence for salvation. When they relied on them, he says, it's all worthless. It's all absolutely worthless. I was talking to a co-worker yesterday, and he says that his wife, I said, well, hey, how's your week been? And he says, well, it's been going pretty good. My wife is out of town. She's the executor of the estate uh, for a family member, and they've decided to go ahead and, and, in, uh, in Montana and then go ahead and get the family together and start talking about the estate. It's that time in his life that he feels that he wants to convey it, and so he begins to tell them where all of his possessions are at, what storage units, what buildings he has, what family members have what on their property. And he highlighted one prized possession that he had. And he says, listen, you have to find this painting. It is worth thousands of dollars. He says, I want to get this painting. And I don't know if it was in regards to giving to somebody, but he wanted it to be protected. He did not want it to fall into the wrong hands. And they went, and luckily they found the painting that he was talking about. And they began to go looking and trying to um, get the value of this painting. And the family came back with the results, and he had told them it was worth thousands of dollars, but they had found the very same painting on eBay for less than $100. And I said, well, maybe it's the frame that's expensive. He had had a value upon something that he had lived a large portion of his life when he came into contact with it, saying this was very valuable, protected at all costs. And then when the truth comes out, it's really not worth anything. But he valued it. We as people can hold to things that we think are so valuable. I was talking to a man today that... Um, his career is coming to a close, and it's not uh, by his choice. It's one of those things, if you've been around long enough, you understand sometimes leadership decides to reorganize departments, and there's this merging business that goes together, and they begin to pick this person's going to oversee this part of it and work with this man for uh, since 2010. He had been with our company for 22 years, and, and uh he goes, you know what, there are times in your life you begin to realize you're not as important as you thought you were. And I said, that's so true. He says, it's probably the best thing for our company. He said, but um, sometimes you value your position and your rank and your title more than the value the company places upon it. And so I will resign and go into retirement and been enjoying working with this man and have enjoyed all the projects we've been involved in. But it took a lot for him to stand there in front of people and say, I'm really not that important. Even though I'm the boss over everybody here, and all this is the success based on my leadership, 
he hung his head and says, I'm really not that important. You guys are. People place value on things that when the preacher preaches about them, or the word of God speaks to them in their devotion, they may even hear a song that prompts something down deep in their heart. When it comes time to lay it down at the altar, it's something they said, oh, this has so much value to me. This has so much value that I cannot give it up. Let me enjoy it just for a few more moments. Now, I can sympathize with you because, one, I am human and wrestle with the very same things, but also I wrestle with that same concept when it comes time to uh, make a commitment to only eating half of a Andy's frozen custard and say, I'll put it back, the rest of it, for later. Next thing you know, that spoon is hitting the bottom of the cup, and you're like, might as well. I'm already committed. Who wants to put an inch of custard back in the freezer? And you go ahead and say, I'll just endure. We living in this life become so accustomed to feeding the flesh that sometimes we build these habits that where it's so easy to say, I've, I've been doing it for so long, why not longer? But there's benefits. There's benefits. There are benefits to doing things how God wants us to do them. In the verse that I would like to talk about for just a few more minutes, it's found in verse 10. And I've always had an interest in this verse. In my mind, it's very poetic. It's a verse of scripture that um, is profound. And I don't believe I have... Um, all of the understanding of this verse of Scripture. But I tell you what, tonight I feel God has laid this on my heart to talk about what I do know. In verse 10 it says, That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. When we look at this verse of Scripture, the deeper understanding is we are inseparably connected with the possession of of this righteousness of God. We are in pursuit of Him. We are in pursuit of Him. I was talking to a man today, and he was everybody was kind of bragging about him. They said, we had some people I was meeting with from Florida. They'd flown in, and they said, hey, this person, co-worker, was just down in your neck of the woods. He ran from this city to this city, and he was 100 miles, and... and uh, they were, oh yeah, that's a great feat. And then he was like, uh, but they're wanting us to go do one down in Key West in uh, June. And they're like, you don't want to do that. He's like, well, why? He go, they go, well, you're going to get baked. There is no shade. You're running over bridges and causeways and you're running out on the flat. It may be flat with no hills, but the sun is going to beat down on you. And he backed off and says, you know what? I don't think I'll do that after all. People get wrapped up in things and the pride of life lifts them up. But there are times when life begins to push back a little bit and begins to get a little too real for them that they begin to realize I was not cut out for this. But in our pursuit for God, He gives us everything we need to be made conformable unto His death. There's a verse of Scripture that I will refer to 
in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. I believe this verse of scripture encapsulates the theme of Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. It says, for if we have been reunited with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Now, if we were to break this verse of scripture down, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, for if we have been planted together, as it says in the King James, the name that this uses, the verbiage that's used in this little excerpt from scripture is only noted to my understanding in this one place. To have been planted together. Now, you can go into the beautiful botanical gardens at the Omaha Zoo. I'm not sure if anybody else has been there. It's a beautiful place to go. It's more than just looking at the animals, but when you step back and look at all the mass amount of vegetation, it didn't all happen at once. It was planted, it was designed, it was worked on, it took years for that to all come together for you to enjoy the beauty of it. But in this verse of scripture, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, it is the same verbiage, is, it is as the field of grain that has been sown at the same time and springs forth at the same time. It grew simultaneously. That is what it's saying, for we have been planted together. So simultaneously, keep that in your mind. We shall be also, this is associating the seed that has been planted and the harvest from that seed, associating that with the fellow plant. So now we have multiples that have been planted together. We shall be associated with it also. We shall, if I could say it this way, shall resemble him in his resurrection. As he rose from the grave, so shall we rise from sin. As he lived a new life, being raised up, so shall we live a new life. So being made conformable unto him is meaning that we have the ability because of the death, burial, and resurrection, it's more than just uh, the three days in the grave and the celebration of life, but it goes beyond that. It is showing us that what he did is also available to us to have resurrection in life over sin. People do not like to have others that can do something that they strive to do, that they can sit there and say, oh, well, they think they're so holy because they go to church all the time and I can't. And nothing great about me in this instance, if I were to relay the entire context, which I don't have time for, but I've had a boss of mine come in and say, Douglas, I wish I had it like you have it. And that's people, sometimes they get jealous of that. Seems like you go to church, you have it all together. When they have a need, they come to you and ask you to pray. But you're never going to them asking them to pray. But this is also available to them. It's not just an us thing. When we are grafted into the body of Christ, we are recipients of the promise. In him, we find is the depth and the riches of life. In John 15 and verse 5, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
So when we talk about this newness of life, that I may win Christ, we must understand that we must be made conformable unto him, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. That's not just meaning through means of salvation, but that I draw strength from the ability of God to give me power over sin. You can get stuck in this loop that never seems to end, that you never get victory. That you always have the sin becomes the problem all the time. Paul says, I die daily. Paul begins to write the scriptures about the thorn in the flesh that three times that I have prayed and said, take this away. Now, there's some speculation about what it was and what that means, but what it's telling us today is none of us are perfect. Even people who stand behind the pulpit, nobody is perfect. Even those who play instruments or teach Sunday schools or, or go out and teach Bible studies and win countless souls, nobody is perfect. Everybody has those moments that they have to have power over sin. Everybody has those moments, whether it's a vice for you or not, to where you have to push back those things that would destroy you if you were to say just one more time. All of us have that same issue. Don't let the devil tell you and convince you that you're the only one. Because we are all flawed individuals. You can get up and pray every day. That doesn't mean that you will not have to wrestle with the spirit of the devil that day. You can pray your heart out and the devil will meet you before you can get into the car and say, that wasn't God. And try to convince you that you have no purpose for the day in which you're in, that the breaths that you take are a waste of oxygen and you walk around your job as a waste of skin and you can contribute to nothing in the kingdom of God. That's all he wants to pound in your ears. That's his mantra. You will never be good enough. But we have been grafted in to the body of Christ. We have been grafted into that promise. It's the same. If I could say it this way, it is the same it was destined from the very beginning of time that Jesus Christ would sacrifice himself, come down as the new Adam and fulfill everything and be the promise that we need and deliver us from sin. We also have that same promise because God himself did not come robed in flesh and sacrifice himself on Calvary just to be a crucifix. He came to be our savior for it to be meaningful and life-changing and fulfill the promise of God. None of it was wrapped up in tradition. Jesus Christ, as Bishop, has been preaching and teaching to us uh, through the word of God. He addressed tradition square on the nose every time. He would walk in and confront it. He would walk in and address it in the face. And just as he did when he crafted the whip and walked into the temple and drove everyone out. That was just right after he had done his first miracle. He wasn't a 70 or 80 year old elder 
walking in the midst and everybody said, so-and-so is here. Everybody needs to put their stuff up. He made an observation, went back and purposefully went back and crafted a tool to drive them out of the temple. He also went back and purposely crafted a tool to drive sin out of the temple. Your temple. Your temple. The one that has a heart beating in it. The one that breaths, expand, and breathe out. The one that takes you down paths of life. You don't know why you're in the position you're in or you don't understand why I'm wrestling with this situation. God crafted a tool for your deliverance. Now, you can say, well, that sounds good, Brother Golf, and you may have access to that, but what does that mean to me? It means that you have the very same access as those who have been living this life for their entire life. I don't care if you're three days into this, Brother Carlos, or six months or 20 years. You have the very same tool for deliverance. Everybody has access. It's not, oh, an executive access or VIP. He says everyone. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, it says, we shall be also fellow plants. Hmm. That is, we shall resemble him in regard to the resurrection. As he rose from the grave, so shall we rise from sin. As he lived a new life, being raised up, so shall we live a new life. So when we talk about Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may be made conformable unto him. It's powerful. That I may have his resurrection. It's more than just Easter. It's more than just saying he lives. He gave you the tool to clean the temple out. Every time it opens the door and says, hey, is anybody in here? He gave you the tools to drive the root of sin out every time. We find the apostle says, I do it daily. That doesn't mean you just got to do it once. It's going to be whack-a-mole over and over and over again. God is with you in your storm. Just like Brother Britain preached on Sunday night, stay in the boat. God has a plan. Stay in the plan. If you stay in Christ and abide in Him, you're in the plan. Stay in the plan that God has for you. Don't try to deviate on your own and create your own way. God has a plan, a perfect plan. We talk about the will of God, and we talk about his perfect will, and we talk about the flawlessness of God. But yet we as children struggle with living in that perfect will of the perfect God because we have choice. It would be as if we were seeing ourselves grafted into a tree and we say, I don't want to be an apple tree. I want to be grafted into a peach tree. And we make those same decisions, but we must understand. 
The one who dresses the vineyard is the one who chooses where we go. And he's the one who says, in this situation, you will bloom, blossom, and be fruitful. Yet we're looking around and we're saying, but all the other branches are bare. Maybe, just maybe, he's putting you there to pollinate their growth, to bring the bees your way, and life begins to spring forth because you are there. And you're sitting there saying, it's barren over here, God. Why did you do this? It's because he says we have been planted together. We have been put in a place so that when he lived life being raised up, so shall we live a new life. In the likeness of his resurrection, reading through and Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, as he rose from the tomb and lived, so shall we rise from sin and live a new life. I am so glad that I have the opportunity to have new life. Because when I look back over my life, I was just talking to someone the other day, and they said, I wish I could have, let me rephrase that. They said, I will never be like I was. And my response was, I don't want to be like I was. If you could see where he has brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. If you could look back through my life and the flip book of Douglas Kaiser Goff, I would have so many embarrassments, and there's nothing for me to be a proud of today. But don't get hung up on I'll never be able to meet the expectations of my past. You have an awful low bar if that's what you're trying to do. Because God has something so much greater, so much richer, so much deeper and fuller than you can even imagine or think. You are selling yourself short. If you think, I just need to live up to what I used to be. Because if I could tell you, saints of God, this is a race. That doesn't mean we win it by running in place. It means that we win it by pressing forward to the mark, as it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. It means that I am comfortable in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how I have strength. That's how I make progress. It's knowing where my place is, is where my strength comes from. Not by just me willing myself. It's because I go back to the power of his resurrection in verse 10 that I can go to verse 14 and have success and press on. It's because I know what motivates me. I was planted together. By his victory, I have victory. The object in Paul, he's saying he wants to be gaining in knowledge in the power of Jesus Christ. And we look through the verses 12 through 14, the object that he had sought in doing this, he says, had he yet not fully attained. He says, I don't have it all. But he had seen enough to know the true value of pressing on. 
that he might secure the prize that he desires. Saints of God, if you ever ask, God, I want to be used of you, God, I will give you everything in my life. I surrender all of my life. If that's your prayer, if you're saying, God, if you can do anything, use me. And it's not just a song, but you mean it from the depths of your heart. If you say, God, I want to be wise and win souls, hang on. If you are serious, God will take you on the ride of your life. He will use you, and he will put you in places you didn't ask for, and he'll put you in places that he needs you to be in. But if you don't, you're just treading water. You're just jogging in place. You're just running on the treadmill of life, paying bills, going to work, coming to church, talking to people, having friends, social media, reunions, Christmas, holidays. They just come and they go. I seen a visual representation of life that has impacted me. If I had a way to present it, I would. You could go look it up your own. It's very easy. You could Google the weeks of your life. What it does is it takes, uh, you can look at it in different units of measure, weeks, months, years, however you choose to. They take an average of you, and they build a matrix that shows if you have to live, you project to live to the age of 75. It takes all the weeks of those 75 years, and it marks all the ones to your birth date into today, showing you what's left. It's a daunting visualization of life because you realize I have 20 years to retirement, but that is not when life begins. I can't say when I don't have to worry about going to work every day, then I. When I don't have a house full of children, then I. When I don't have to do X and fill in the space, then I. Today is the day of salvation. God has called us each and every one to do something. And he has so equipped us for so much victory that the devil does everything he can to pervert everything that God has done to keep you from doing God's perfect will. Everything the devil does is to keep you from doing God's will. No one has ever said Satan, I thank you for the blessings in my life. Those words, unless they be possessed, would never be uttered by somebody that knows who God is. But yet we allow him to buffet us. We allow him to come against us and push in such a way that we say, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this after all. We'll keep going through. He exhorts them in Philippians chapter 15 and 16, telling them the aim at the same thing, that he is saying, I press on toward that prize so that it may be desired. And according to them that God was ready to disclose to them that they all desire to know and to grant all that they wished and to obtain. That is what he's saying in 15 through 16. The whole exhortation he does is going to enforce in the end of Philippians chapter uh, 3, verse 17 through 21, 21, he gives and presents two 
consideration. One, that there were not a few who had been deceived and had no true religion, whom he had often warned with tears. You can read in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He begins to tell them, for many of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross. The man of God is pouring out his tears in prison, trying to encourage and lift up somebody. Secondly, the home, the citizenship of the true Christian was in heaven. We today are citizens. We today have been given a certificate saying, March on, my son, my daughter. Soldier in the Lord, press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's telling us there's something deeper. He's telling us the Savior would soon return to take them to glory and he would change their earthly body and make them like himself that they would therefore live as those who had hope so blessed and transforming. God has promised all of us that. If we could just but step back from life and see it for what it really is and begin to strip away all the layers that are just mere distractions. Mere distractions in life. And we say, if I only had this, I would be happy. I can still live for God if I only have this. And what that really comes down to, saints, is you just need God. You just need God. The house, let it burn. The car, let it sit there. All of the extras of life that we think we have to have, we don't need it. We just need Jesus. And you can think, well, Brother Golf, these are nice to have. I think Bishop and Sister Riggan were happy with just water and electricity this weekend. Talking to him the other day, and he said, you know, internet went down. You know, we take those things when we have something like that happen. Heavenly day. We are calling him up saying, I can't, and you guys need to get out here right now, and you had better. I remember some people at work, they come in one day, and they were just fuming. I said, what happened to you? And they said, well, this game was on, and it was the championship, and this provider just so happened to drop down right smack dab in the middle of the game. So what? Didn't bother me any. I could care less. We get so attached to things that we think mean so much. But when you step back and say, would I trade it for this? Would I trade it for someone getting the Holy Ghost? Would I trade it for that moment in time when I'm sitting at a Bible study and someone sit there and says, I want what you have. Wouldn't trade it for the world. When someone stands there and says, I've been searching my entire life for this. There's nothing that I can grab from my resources and say, this is worth more. When someone says, can you pick me up and take me to church? You can't trade it. It may be a burden. 
but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything to be able to help somebody find him. Yet sometimes we let those things creep in, and all the while we say, and I can't live without it. It's too much of an inconvenience. And he sat here, has laid out a plan, telling us, if you want success in the kingdom of God, just be planted and just abide in me. And Philippians goes on reading in verse 20, like this verse of scripture. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We, saints of God, are citizens of the kingdom of God. You may look around and say, oh, well, the population is so few. No, no, no. You are not seeing the full picture. I'm not talking about all the other churches. I'm talking about the promise of the word of God that is yet to be fulfilled. The promises that God wants to take into your life and those around you and begin to put something down deep. And we are all planted together. We all have the inheritance of being planted together in Jesus Christ. Together. A person can make decisions in their life based solely on feelings. And I've said that many times. and may have to wear it out. Feelings don't get you anywhere. Feelings can take you places you never thought you would even end up. Feelings. Everybody has them. Everybody has feelings. Some get stepped on. Some get ruffled up. Some get the buttons pushed. And some get, and you fill in the blank. They're just feelings. The worst thing you can do is hold those hurt feelings and let them mean more to you than reaching out to a lost and dying soul. However, blessings in the kingdom of God, blessings in the church, blessings at Truth Church do not depend on your feelings. God's blessings are based upon what the kingdom of God needs. Too many people want to say, I've got to find a church that fits me just right, and it's all on their feelings. Too many people say, I can't believe what you're teaching me in this Bible study. It goes against my... No, it's your feelings. It's what I've always heard. It's your feelings. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm reminded of a verse of Scripture in Psalms chapter 118 and verse 6. It says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's profound. Not my words. That's telling me, with God on my side, man can do nothing to me. I have come to the realization, and I have accepted the very fact, that I can lose my job tomorrow. And I could care less. 
There are people that live in fear of their boss walking in and not being happy with them and saying, we don't need you anymore. And their life falls apart. I'm not saying that a job is not important. My family, my wife, children, they would all be impacted if I was to lose my job. But our life did not end. You can lose every possession. And I've been there on the brink of it and watched it happen. And it crushed me. But I've learned a lot. It don't matter. Let it burn. Let someone break in the house. If they take it, I'm not there. As long as my family is not present. Long as my family's lives are preserved. Take it all. If you want it more than I want it, take it all. But we can get so wrapped up in the possession and possessing things that we lose track of God's everlasting love. We lose track on protecting our citizenship. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now you could look at this two ways. You could look at this saying, what can make me not love God? You could also look at this and say, what could make God not love me? But when I look at the following words, I tend to think this means more of what can make me not love God. Shall tribulation make me not love God? No. Or distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If what? If we keep the Lord on our side. If we abide by his word. If we listen to what is being preached even tonight. You can lose it all. You look at tribulation. That's things from the outside. Look at distress, anxiety, angst. That's on the inside. Persecution. That's your peers. Famine. It's desiring and needing. Nakedness. Same thing. Peril. It's distresses coming upon you, sword, even death. Nothing. And this is what the apostles wrote. Nothing can keep you from God. Saints of God, I'm here to tell you, you can live a minimalist life and still be blessed as long as your focus is on Christ alone. That doesn't mean that you can't have possessions, that God can't bless you. But they cannot be your God. They cannot come between you and God. Because when they do, you find yourself having to give up citizenship. You have to give up something that allows you to be a part. But in verse 7, 37, it says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 57 says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through his sacrifice on Calvary? Yes. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can keep you from God except you. You. 
me. I am the only person. I am the only thing. I am the only entity. If I look at the word of God, there's nothing that you can do. Nobody else in my life. Nobody else can say something. Nothing the devil can do. I'm the only person to blame. But if I say, I draw strength from that. Because my strength is in the Lord. My strength is in Christ Jesus. I can then go back and say, devil, do what you will. And we can have the faith of Job to begin to say, I can do all things. I can go through this. I can walk through this. Because my strength is in God and not in myself. In closing, a verse of scripture in John chapter 10 and verse 28. These are Jesus' words. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. My Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Saints of God, I'm here to tell you, if you have faith in God, you have a citizenship. You are citizens of something. You possess and you are a part of something that nobody can take away from you. I love what it says when he says nobody can pluck them out of my hand. You know what that means? That means he also has another hand to defeat the enemy. That means he controls the devil at will with just the finger of God while he's keeping his children safe, all of his children, not just the physical that we see tonight, but he preserves the promise in his hand. All the while, God himself holds Satan and all of his imps and everything that he wants to do to destroy us. He has spent all of this time here on earth trying to make a place for no one to find God. And God holds it at bay just with a finger. Just with the word, nope, nope, can't touch them. They're mine. They are in the palm of my hand. That is what God does. That is the promise. Now, now go back and read verse Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to be just a Christian bookstore ripoff artist and find your favorite scripture. But now let's apply something that people just want to put on a bumper sticker and let it be your mantra in life. I have a promise. He crafted a tool to keep this temple clean. It was called Calvary. It was called forgiveness of sins, washing away. Jesus Christ represents the answer of the fulfillment of all things in our life. There is nothing that anybody can do outside of Jesus Christ to fulfill your life and make you be saved. Can we stand today? Have hope. You have a citizenship that no one can take away from you. No one can revoke no one can say you're not worthy. No one says you don't have the right criteria. 
No one says you didn't send in this form. No one says you didn't pay enough. If God gives it to you, you keep it, you hold on to it, you protect it with everything that's in you, and you say, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I'm not going to give this for anybody. I'm not going to trade it for anything. God has given you all that you need to make it. He just needs you to realize the tools in your hand. Can we lift our hands and talk to him today? I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. God, I thank you for all that you are for this church and everybody in it, God. I thank you for your touch in our life. God, everything, the miracles and the signs and wonders that you're doing in each and every one of us, we may not see it, realize it, know it, but God, you're at work in each and every one of our lives. I thank you for it, God. Let us hold to the promise that you have given, God. You made us a tool. You gave us something so much greater, God. It's all found in you. I thank you, Master. I thank you, Master. How great you are to me. I love you, Jesus. When I look back over my life and I think what God has done, I begin to wonder why me. So many people around me deserve so much more than what they have. God, why me? But it's not a blessing that he has said, oh, I've got to pour this person out a blessing and I want to bless Brother Golf and I want to give him this, this, and this. I want to elevate and I want to make him this. No, I don't need anything but just him. I don't need anything but just him. I just need to be able, like what happened tonight. Brother Nelson, when you said, God is in this place. And I stood right here. And I felt the presence of God. Just, it's what it's all about. Take everything. This could have been the last sports jacket I've ever bought. I could care less. Because what I felt tonight is worth more than anything I could ever possess. I'm not challenging God. I'm not saying, God, treat me like Job. But what I am saying, thank you, God, for working in my life. Because there was days when that was not the case. Thank you, God, for touching me one more time. Thank you, God, for not letting me take it for granted and say, it'll be here on Sunday morning. It'll be here on Sunday night. I thank God for what he's doing in each and every one of our lives. Whether you want to believe it or not, God is doing miracles in Truth Church. There are people that have been on the brink of walking out and God has reached for them and pulled them back in. And they have allowed him to do it. That's a miracle. There are people whose relationships had places that they didn't want to talk about but God's brought it back and fostered love and forgiveness when the devil would want to say give it up they're not worth it God is doing miracles in this house washing away sins I believe we're going to have a baptism coming up that's a miracle that is a miracle that's something no modern medicine, 
That's something that no person can do other than the obedience and the name of Jesus Christ. Washing away sins. I want to have miracles happening here. Whether you see crutches flying through the air or wheelchairs parked. But I want to see lives change because you can stay in a wheelchair and be saved. You can stay blind and be saved. Those are the miracles that we have been promised. Changing lives through the word of God and through his name. That is a miracle. And we are all promised to be a part of the kingdom of God. We just got to abide in him and he in us. And the words that I read in John were read. Jesus' words. He's the one who says, we are all in his hand. Nobody can take you out of the church. Be encouraged, saints. God is on your side. You have the power of heaven and earth behind your trial right now. He has it in his hands. Amen. Be encouraged. Let's lift our hands.